0: Hey, folks, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is Los Angeles comedian Alex Kane. I met him through doing virtual Zoom mics. He's a, he's a good friend of Ellen Doyle, who we mentioned quite a bit at the end. It's one of the perks of the pandemic, I suppose, that I, I'm able to, to meet new comedians and branch out. We talked about that. He is one of the regulars at Flappers, a comedy club out in L.A., so we discussed basically his evolution as a comedian also talked a lot about hippos, which, honestly, I never thought I'd ever talk about hippos on a podcast, but here we are. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the feedback. Please rate and review, subscribe, like the podcast, send it to a friend if you've got a friend. I, I don't, but I am jealous of those who do. Thank you guys, I appreciate it. Take care. I'll talk to you next week.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate you being here. Uh you're welcome. I am at my own place. So I know it's very hard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And you know what? It bothers me because I, I
1: vacuumed my house for you and you still didn't come over. I didn't even notice. I couldn't tell you you did that. It, I mean, I made my bed, but I do that every day. So that <laughs> seems that's for me.
0: <laughs> I'm very hurt by this. I will never put in effort for any podcast guest <laughs> over the phone again.
1: I mean, it's something you probably should have learned earlier on at this point. Well, I'm not very bright. So thanks for pointing that out. Oh, you're welcome. I didn't know I had to point that out to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, trust me, that's been told to me several times. I get up in the morning and I I get a text from my mom, like "You're dumb." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Today's
1: Wednesday." (laughs) Your mom sounds lovely. (laughs) My mom is, uh,
0: she is a nut job, but she's she's so cool. But I mean, she'll never listen to this, so I can compliment her all (laughs) I want. But she she's a fucking weirdo. She's so obsessive about everything; it makes her brilliant. And, like, she's basically the breadwinner for the family because she she sells Amazon. And Ooh. she you know how celebrities get black cards to restaurants like, like, oh, this is for free? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom is our family's black card.
1: Oh, so she gets <laughs> you into restaurants?
0: <laughs> oh, no. She is the money. Like, she has a magic discover card. We call it the magic discover card because we don't know if it has a limit on it. Oh, I see. So... If ever we're in trouble, oh, mom will help, and like she will, and she'll make fun of us for it or whatever. But I can complain about her all day, and I can compliment her all day. But to her face, I will only complain.
1: Right? I love how middle class this is, where it's like, man, this woman's amazing. She has a Discover card, just I like, <laughs> I like I know. I could apply for one. I would just have a much lower limit.
0: I had to get my engine fixed in my car, mm-hmm. and I said, "Mom, uh, I need you to help me out." She goes, "What do you mean?" So, well, I need you to go with me and also bring your Discover card because <laughs> I only have so much on my, like, I think I put $1,200 on the card and then she had to pay for the last 800. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> all right. So she,
1: she's the safety net. It's nice to have that safety net though, yeah. but I'm sure you had to pay her back and stuff. Unless you don't, eh. I don't know eh. what you do with your parents. Yeah.
0: My mom has a very selective memory. She used to ground me as a kid and forget I was grounded 10 minutes later. So um, like yeah, yeah, yeah. all she wants is quiet. So if it costs two thousand dollars to keep me quiet, whatever. That's middle class <laughs> problem solving.
1: Yeah, no, the- just pay pay whatever it costs for the kid to just shut up for a little bit. Yeah, pretty much. I make my living off people willing to do that. So <laughs> like let's be fair. Listen, this isn't about you. I didn't
0: I know I didn't I didn't invite you on the podcast to talk about yourself. I invited you
1: it's to talk point. about my mom. You're right. Uh, so how's she doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, she's all right. No, okay, I uh, I, uh, I do want to know about you. Uh, this is kind of the magic, I guess, of the pandemic. Like I get to meet comedians from Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, and all the way across that, the country. It's weird. Yeah,
0: yeah. And like, because uh, you're a Los Angeles comic
1: for what? Four years? Something like that. Yeah, give or take and, a month. <laughs> Yeah,
0: and we've been doing, what, for more than two months now, we've been doing a virtual Zoom mic.
1: Yeah, it's like a solid eight weeks tonight, I think. I, I guess so. Is that pathetic or I fun? Don't I don't I think so. It's become, like, my, like, way to judge the week. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that means it's Monday. I know the days of the week because I have something to do at this time on Mondays, and it w- Since this has begun, the only stable thing like that in my life, everything else, because I work freelance jobs, and I work as a nanny, as I hinted at earlier in a stupid joke, but (laughs) so like, my hours are sporadic with that some week, a couple times I just had the week off because what else was I gonna do? I wasn't even supposed to go over to the kid's house. I just was doing that against uh, orders for a little bit. Now I'm allowed to. I'm considered essential services. Congratulations. Thank you. It's very, it feels good. Uh, But no, like having this open mic, like as sad as it sounds that I just get on a Zoom with like, at the time it was one friend and like six strangers. Like that was how it began. That's just become the most stable thing in my life because of this stupid pandemic.
0: I'm still doing therapy over the phone. So like I was talking to my therapist on Friday, every Friday. She's like, well, what'd you do this week? And I'm like, well, I did an open mic on Monday and then I ran one on Tuesday. I was on one in Florida on Wednesday and then Lewisburg, Pennsylvania on Thursday. Like I'm doing four sets a week (laughs) and not driving anywhere. Like that's the crazy part. Like, like I was so hesitant to do online
1: comedy. I'm like, oh, that's not how it's done, but what the hell else are we gonna do? I mean, I still don't love the idea of Zoom shows unless like it's free. Like if it's for people who aren't participating. But a Zoom open mic is just as fun to me as a regular as a good open mic, as a fun good open mic. You know what I mean? Like I don't want them to go away at the end of this necessarily.
0: Yeah, and the one we're doing, it's you know nobody else is invited. It's just us. But uh, it seems like every couple weeks somebody from a different state comes in. Like uh, we just started doing doing one uh, with a guy from St. Louis.
1: Yeah, we got St. Louis, L.A. Where else? Like I feel like Ohio. Pennsylvania and New York. New York, yeah. So we got like five states every week associated with this weird mic. Have you noticed that your material is getting
0: stronger because of this?
1: I don't know. I think part of it's that I'm able to use stuff you guys haven't heard that I've had for like two years. And like I'm finally able to like pull it out and get it in front of people who are actually paying attention to it. But at the same time, I'm adding so much to old material that I would have never been able to do if I wasn't just sitting around thinking about it as much as I have been. Like, I'll take an old bit that I don't find as funny and all I think is like, how can I make these guys find it funny? Uh, whether it's like most of the bikes I do are yours lately, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's like, how can I take this and change it? And I find so many extra tags and I find so many extra things. And I feel like sitting around and just, with nothing else to do but think about how I wish I could have done it better in the past has helped me with that.
0: Also, you've got you have so much time to think about what you've done. Yeah. It's like you're you're being punished for three and a half years of bad sets.
1: Yeah, and since the gym shut down, I've been going on like two hour long walks and like at the gym I wouldn't listen to comedy because that just doesn't work for me but like on a four hour walk I listen to four comedy albums no kidding yeah like I'll do it so like often because there's nothing else to do on a Sunday and so like I'll listen to a Gaffigan album somebody who like I idolized since I was a kid and then somebody new and then somebody that I should listen to that I've never listened to before and then like a friend's album like i've been doing that a lot lately and i feel like that's been adding so much to me as a comic
0: i haven't man this is so bad i i don't think i've listened to a comedian's album straight through like like you know over spotify in mm-hmm. years and i'll watch specials I, on tv but an actual album I, it's been a while
1: I have no idea like why. I stopped kind of before I got Spotify. like I never went out of my way to do it. I'd watch them on TV still, obviously. But when I started in comedy, I stopped liking watching them on TV as much. I just would be like, I've seen so much comedy at open mics or shows throughout this day. I don't want to go home and watch someone else do stand up without me being able to go up and do it as well. But listening to it, I don't get that itch, partly because I can just like pause it and think about and write my own joke and then go back to what I was listening to. How old are you now? I am 28. Oh, shit. All right. I- I'm a child. People don't, I'm not really a child, but people always think I'm like 35.
0: I'm the other way. Like I'm 37 and people have told me that I'm at least act younger. So I when, I heard, when I heard uh, Jim Gaffigan was my favorite, I idolized him as a kid. Like, oh, you probably mean college age, but no, you really probably were listening to him in middle school.
1: Uh, Gaffigan, Brian Regan, Ron White are my intro to comedy. And Chappelle. But I didn't know Chappelle did stand-up for a while because I wasn't allowed to watch his stand-up. It was very R-rated. My parents just did not know Ron White was who he was because he was on with Jeff Foxworthy and Larry oh, the Cable right. Guy.
0: He slid so, into the crack.
1: Yeah, he slid into the niche of like, oh that redneck era and they were like oh but also here's like this god of raunchy comedy and it's like okay but so like i got really into ron white and jim jim gaffigan was clean and very easy to like be like this guy's fine to listen to and brian regan the same but then uh chappelle i watched chappelle's show as a kid and i loved it and i was obsessed with it but my parents did not like that i was obsessed with it because it was a lot of fucks and shits and stuff and Really, that's what they cared about, too. They did not care about me learning about, like, STDs and shit. It was all about, like, stop cussing, Alex, and I just never listened.
0: You were going to learn about STDs in health class.
1: No, it was Texas. We pretended sex didn't happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the only thing I know about Texas are, like, like big belt buckles and, <laughs> the, and the cowboys, and uh,
1: that's about it. It's not really, but it's a it's a super red state. Like that's just the best way to think of it. They're very much like, Don't tell me what to do, don't touch my guns, and don't be gay if you can help it. Like that's that should be on the Texas flag. If you can like, help they're it. They're putting up with it now. They're like, oh, it's not a choice. I guess we'll figure this out. Like they're on they're at that point with it. But they're they're still like a waves behind like half the other country on things like that.
0: Do you start comedy in LA or Texas?
1: Yeah, in LA. I started comedy after i lived in new york for a little bit actually brooklyn for the most of it i hated it i hated my job there i hated the city probably hated the city because i hated the job though like i started to realize that much but then i moved out to la and i wanted to be a novelist is really like how i fell into stuff and i joined a writing group and part of the writing group was that we were supposed to read what we wrote to each other And my stuff wasn't good written down is how I would describe it. But when I got to say shit, it was funny because half of what I say is sarcastic and needs inflection, which doesn't happen in a book. So it was very funny and they encouraged me to try doing stand-up and I realized that's definitely what I want to (laughs) do.
0: I don't read as often as I should, but the books I love most are books by comedians like Dimitri Martin and Mm -hmm. Sarah Silverman and Norm Macdonald. Mostly because I can read it in their voice. So you hear the sarcastic tones, the inflections, Mm
1: -hmm. and it's just so great. Like Norm Macdonald's book, I think if Norm Macdonald didn't write it would be terrible. Yes. Because Norm Macdonald just, he has that like facetious bullshit at all times. So like hearing him read it in your head is the only reason why it it works for me. But also, Norm Macdonald's stuff though.
0: And like, I forget what the title of the book was or is, but it's like, what do you call it? It wasn't a, it wasn't an autobiography. It was a novel. I think that's what he was saying. I don't know. He threw in some doubt over whether or not this stuff happened. Anytime you listen to Norm talk, you don't necessarily believe that what he's saying is the truth anyway. Like, like it's like his whole conversation is a joke.
1: Mm hmm. I love how, like, basically what he is, is he's lying to you from the get-go about whatever it is he's saying. And his whole joke is that he's doubling down on a lie. That's how I feel like his sets are written. It's a sketch thing that he did. I think it's called, like, Ridiculous. It's just an hour of him doing sketch comedy for, like, radio shows. I think he put out in, like, 2005. It's really funny, and it's on Spotify. But he has this one thing where it's, like, the whole premise is it's him and, I think, Will Ferrell. And they're like, these are the first two men to have ever had sex in 1956. (laughs) And it's just this doubling down on that. Like, these are the first two men to have had sex. And that the first time men ever had sex with each other was 1956. (laughs) And that's how I feel like all of his jokes work from there. Like how they're all written. It's just him saying something stupid and then trying to prove why what his stupid take is is true.
0: I'm trying to think the first time I ever saw Norm had to be Billy Madison. And when he was in Billy Madison, it's that stupid laugh he has, Mm -hmm. I think, attracted me to Norm. And then I watched Screwed in the theater and also in Netflix. I don't know why I just plugged Screwed on Netflix, but I did. (laughs) But him as a stand up. I don't. Oh, oh! It was Weekend Update. Yeah, we that's. Get, what yeah, I knew. was gonna say. That's that's I true. knew. Yeah.
1: My parents were big SNL fan, or my dad was a big SNL guy at one point in life. So I watched a bunch of SNL guys when I was much younger.
0: <laughs> yeah, my era of SNL was Norm and Sandler and Chris Rock and Spade and Farley.
1: Well, it got bad so, for a while after that.
0: Yeah, and i I don't think I ever watched them live. Like, I think it was always on, like, at four o'clock in Comedy Central.
1: Yeah, but or like the man, they were I, good. we would always someone would always have like a DVD that was like best of Alec Baldwin or Tom Hanks or just fill in the blank, and it was always like just Adam Sandler doing shit half the time.
0: Yeah, you know, it was like Opera Man and uh, mm-hmm. Canteen. God, Boy. it was. Yeah, that's where my head went. It was the Halloween because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's what it is. Like Canteen
1: Boy is the Halloween. I think the so. Cheap, oh. I feel like uh, there was a yeah, few like, canteen boys.
0: Oh, okay. Then the Halloween, like he he came up as himself, giving Halloween options, costume ideas for people with no money.
1: Oh, oh, canteen boy is uh, Alec Baldwin trying to fuck a camper. Okay, <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I think, and it's uh, Adam Sandler is the kid, and he's just doing that stupid kid voice, and then it's yeah, Alec that... Baldwin basically playing Jack from Thirty Rock. Yeah, that that's what made me want to go camping. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a huh. big, big plug for the Boy Scouts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I see, just you saw the moth joke, right? On Conan?
1: Uh, Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Okay, nor-
0: search Conan moth or Norm MacDonald moth or Norm MacDonald Conan. Any combination, the moth will be the first thing that comes up on YouTube. And it's the stupidest joke ever. Like, it's a joke that we all heard in kindergarten or first grade or, or on a Popsicle stick. Mm. Like, it's that, you know. Easy setup, easy punchline, but he meanders for like three and a half minutes and tells you so much of this story that you don't need. I love and his meandering
1: so much.
0: But what makes it perfect is Conan is off on the side reacting to everything. Like, like he knows it's been that long and, and is like, what are we doing? He eats an entire segment. It's perfect.
1: Oh, so it's like instead of an interview, he does. he's not trying to do stand up. It's like his interview portion. <laughs> he just tells the moth joke. That's yeah, great. Yeah, I w- I'm yeah. going to check that out. That sounds hilarious.
0: The only bad part about that is that it will send you down a rabbit hole. And if you've got stuff to do later, you're not going to do it. Like, you're going to be late.
1: Well, the good news is the only thing I have to do later is <laughs> <just> open my Because <laughs> there is nothing else going on in the world right now. How much work did you lose? Do you know yet? I mean, California shut out till July, so... Any comedy going on is done till, I'm going to say August, September. I didn't lose work from it necessarily, but flappers used to pay me and feed me pretty regularly. So I lost weekly meals and every now and then a little bit of cash. And I lost a number of hours nannying for other families that now just can no longer have a nanny, either can afford right. one or will put up with having somebody else enter their home all the time. Totally understandable in my opinion. But it's like, yeah, it's I, I'm lucky that I've been able to work, but I've lost so many shows. I was supposed to go to San Diego, supposed to go to Sacramento, supposed to go to Phoenix, and all of it. Gone. Do you so, know if those are gonna be replaced? Probably not, honestly because like it's not so much that they'll replace they'll just kind of start over like i'll still try to get booked everywhere i was like i know sacramento it's the punchline or whatever their name is i'm blanking on it but they'll they'll book me again in san diego they'll like everybody i know they'll book me again tucson will book me again phoenix who knows but like plenty of these places that i've been getting booked might never have shows again because of all this kind of stuff like the business that had them shut down smaller clubs are going to really struggle after this I think so we'll see what the real damage is in 2021 with that
0: yeah I, I guess that's the that's the part that scares me most is that there's so much unknown mhm that you, you know like I'm typically an optimistic guy like I think for New York I know in Pennsylvania next weekend like one county has the green light to open bars mm-hmm. I don't know if You know, they're going to open up to entertainment or what the plan is as far as, you know, occupancy. Mm -hmm. But New York is not far behind. I'm an upstate New York, so not the city. Mm -hmm. So I think we're probably going to be able to do comedy in August. And I
1: mean, it's not Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 whether comedy will start or not. Like, I feel like there will be open mic starting in California, probably August, September, depending on everything, obviously, I don't know. I think September is when they might get in full gear. It's more, what are people who aren't comics going to be willing to gather for? And I don't see, especially in California, I don't see comedy being one of the things where it's going to just draw people. I think overall, we're going to see movies struggle, things like that, where people get into a place, a lot of people are just going to be like, I'll pass for now.
0: I don't typically value my health and safety. I've been stabbed before, and <laughs> I still don't lock my door. Like, like if I gave you my house address, you could come over and ransack
1: the place. I mean, like we wouldn't though, because there's eh, nothing there. Know. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do have three cat trees, so if you need a cat tree, I you know I've, I've been trying to adopt
1: a cat. I might go get a tree.
0: <laughs> I get the tree first. If you like the tree, you'll get the cat. So Yeah, good know. idea.
1: <laughs> uh, tree no, like, uh, commitment. <laughs> yeah,
0: very much so. You gotta water it and everything. I still don't put my safety first. So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think about, oh yeah, you know, get everybody here. But I saw the video yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, people gathering at the pool, mm-hmm. like in the Ozarks or whatever. And I didn't get sick, but I'm like, oh. And I'm not that guy.
1: I'm not but that guy think, at all. And like I, I feel it. I get I get what you mean. Like I think some of the gathering stuff is obviously just fear. Like a lot of people are just scared, but I I don't, I wouldn't want to go swimming right now, period. Like, it just seems like a poor idea to just get in a pool with a stranger at this point. Like, I I have a theory that like, we're not getting over this as a country, not like you and me will be fine, but we're going to look at like 18 year olds in like 10 years and they'll just be wearing face masks everywhere because they want to. Like, it'll just be a hip thing to do at that point.
0: Yeah, I do wonder what, I guess, like, the long-term effects will be. Like, I host so many shows that I'm kind of like, I'm a hugger by nature. But when I host the shows, I shake everybody's hand. Yeah. And I don't know what, even just somebody from the audience, like, are they going to think, ooh, he's he's really
1: shaking somebody's hand i'm like ah maybe bowing will get into style we'll just be i know like, like long like that was yeah, but real racist what i, just I know did, well so. <laughs> they, they only the can't funny, hear it <laughs>
0: exactly like like they they couldn't hear how racist you were yeah but
1: good for you for admitting <laughs> but i it. admitted it that's the important thing that's
0: if you were in texas you couldn't
1: have done that no but you're in la and you're like oh now i'm woke in texas like everyone would have cheered me for being racist <laughs> it's just a whole other Go further. <laughs> They'd throw shit at me for not being meaner. <laughs> They'd be like, "Why didn't you pull your eyes back, you little bitch? Yeah. You're conforming, you're a sheep."
0: <laughs> no, I, I don't know. So I guess we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm optimistic that we'll go back to normal eventually. But yeah, I have no I have no idea how it's going to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, we will go back to normal eventually. I think I don't see this being the apocalypse everyone wants it to be, but will fundamentally change in the same way that we fundamentally changed after nine eleven. This is this generation's nine eleven. Like the kids who weren't alive for that. Like there's a whole like thing with generations where it's like, if you remember nine eleven on TV, that means you're in this generation gap. This is gonna be it for the next wave of people.
0: I think this whole thing really like it really hit home with me when I heard the deaths being measured in nine 11s
1: <laughs> yeah it was like, <laughs> yeah, like today 9 like, like, 11s happened it's like like oh. wow that's
0: that's not something like that's not an inch you know like like don't equate it but i'm like wow okay
1: yeah it makes like, sense we shouldn't equate them but they're like clearly starting to like feel very s- same kind of like scary yeah are your parents still in texas no they moved to arizona the minute i went to college Oh, okay. So they just got sick of Texas? Uh, So my dad was a stockbroker, and we moved around a lot for whatever reason. Not a lot, a lot, but a fair amount. And he wanted to leave the industry from the get-go, from what I can tell now. And as soon as I was old enough to get out of his house, he was like, I'm out, and I'm going to go back to Arizona, because that's where his sister and mom were. And my mom was born in Arizona, or she grew up in Arizona. So where'd you go to college? I went to college in Missouri.
0: So you've been everywhere.
1: I moved around a lot. I lived in Arizona until I was six. I don't consider that place home, but I do go there all the time to visit family. We moved to El Paso from there. We spent some time there, then Dallas and Plano. And then I went to Missouri and then I went to New York. Was it University of Missouri? Yeah, Missouri. Okay. Yeah, I have it tattooed on my arm technically. Oh my I God. Technically, like it's the, I'm not a big school spirit guy from Mizzou. I just handle drinking very poorly. Can you hold your arm at a 90 degree angle? Yeah. So it says con dash three. Yes.
0: <laughs> that's what I thought. I'm like, you went to Yukon, asshole.
1: No, that's <laughs> what it looks like. I got the wrong font because I was blacked out. I do not remember getting this tattoo at all. Like, I have a whole bit about it, so I don't want to burn it here, but <laughs> it's a, quite a story that I don't remember. I like just started drinking and woke up with a tattoo. That's all I remember. So nobody at that tattoo shop, did you get it at Mizzou? So it wasn't on campus. It was at a rundown strip mall walking distance from my apartment in Columbia, which wasn't the best part of Columbia, Missouri. So it was literally like a place that just said tattoo above the door. Like it was... It made meth like a hundred percent. Like that's all it was. And I just went in and was like, I want a tattoo apparently. And like, I went back the next day and like, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do, but the guy who was there was huge in the first place. So I couldn't get mad because didn't want to die. But they had taxidermy was their other thing. It was like that's a tattoo good. and taxidermy. So there was just dead animals staring at you all over the place. And I just didn't question it after that day. So yeah, I left. <laughs> yeah, like, who the hell complains to that guy? You don't. You just go home. <laughs> but that's why they were willing to give me. I'm sure one of them has a story where they tell their friend like some idiot kid walked in and he was just like, give me a tattoo. And I was like, fuck, yeah. Let's see what happens. Now, you're sure they're licensed to give tattoos? No. Oh, OK, OK. I have no idea. I don't think they're I don't think they're a real business. <laughs> Do you
0: ever watch Seinfeld? Yeah. When you were telling that story, I'm like, I'm like, tell me that you went back the next day and there was no tattoo shop. Was it no was tattoos. just taxidermy. It's like when George went back to the the place where the models took him. Like, no, <laughs> that doesn't exist. It's just a meat packing plant.
1: Yeah. If that was true, that'd be great. But like, I knew this place was there. As soon as I like put everything together, I was like, Jesus Christ, what did I do? <laughs> like, because I knew it was going to be like, a I shouldn't even go in. Like, I knew the area. It. It's literally between a pharmacy and a hardware store. Like, those are on the other ends of the tattoo parlor. It's not me guessing that they made meth. It's just like an educated inference.
0: So you didn't even need to watch Breaking Bad to know?
1: No. Well, meth in Missouri is oddly common to the point where like most of my friends had done it at some point in time.
0: So you were the weird one for not doing meth?
1: A little bit. Like it was one of those things where it's like when we would trade like high school drug stories because that's when I did most of my drugs was in high school. So I'd be like, yeah, I did coke in high school. And they were like, yeah, I did meth. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Guess we're done. You win.
0: <laughs> I had a buddy of mine, his his name's Abdul Hadi from Syracuse, a comedian. You know, he's gone through rehab and he's got his life in order. Mm-hmm. I said, What was the first drug that got you? And he said, PCP. <laughs> that's The first one? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Did a cop get you? Like I thought that PCP was just for cops to subdue people. Like like that's how that's how dumb I am.
1: Yeah, I didn't know you were friends with Ethan Hawk in training day. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. He's like, like the Ethiopian Ethan Hawk. That's crazy. PCP being the first one to, because like, as much as I love weed, I know I shouldn't do other things at this point in my life. If coke gave me the rush that weed did in high school, I'd be fucked. Like, it'd be over.
0: I always say, and back to my mom, like how we can go from like coke to my mom. Yeah, but
1: makes sense. Who do you think I got coke from? <laughs>
0: Damn it, Joanne. <laughs> I, that's how she's got all the
1: money. Yeah. Where <laughs> do you think the Discover card comes from? It's all Coke. It's I knew it drug money.
0: <laughs> ah, good for her. Hey, she's a kindergarten teacher. What are you going to do? Yeah, cool. to sell
1: Coke? Yeah, kids buy Coke, period. That's right.
0: I've seen The Wire. I know how it works. No, she, she's she got such an addictive personality. My dad and I all joke, we're like, like what would she do without burying herself in, in Amazon work or her music? I always said that if my mom did drugs, she'd have been OD'd and dead in a week because she would have had to do more drugs than anybody. She, she's very competitive. She's like, no, I can do this better. There's no way she would have lasted.
1: See, there's a little bit of that with me and weed because my cousin, it it was a huge stoner my whole life growing up. So like the fact that he doesn't acknowledge that I'm a bigger stoner than him now bothers the fuck out of me. And like, it has not done well for my ego. (laughs) Are you really competitive with comedy too? Competitive, no, but mean about it. Like I, I'm not trying to like beat other people, but I'm I'm more like I'll laugh at things that actually make me laugh kind of thing. Like I'm not willing to be nice about that kind of stuff. So you have to earn it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very much you have to earn my respect in any sort of field, but especially comedy.
0: What got you into it? Uh, uh, you, you already said that. You already yeah, said that. yeah, you're writing, it, yeah.
1: Writing, Um, but I've always loved it. Like, I've been a fan of it my whole life. I wrote stand-up when I was 12 and performed it for my friends. And I was, perfor- I was a performance kid. Like, I did a bunch of high school theater, like, so much. And I loved it. I loved being on stage, but when I went to college, I just stopped. And I couldn't tell you why anymore.
0: Are there parallels from being on stage as, like, an actor in theater to doing stand-up?
1: Sometimes the way I do it, I feel like there is because I, I don't know why, but I tend to approach it like, like I'm telling one long story. My biggest influence, even though I didn't realize it till I saw him live was Burbiglia. Like I want to just tell one story for an hour and he's just so good at it.
0: Is there anybody better than him in doing that? Like, or is he the only one? Because he's my favorite in an hour and 10 minutes, he'll weave in 10 stories
1: Into one overarching moral, or I do think he's the best at it, but it is more prevalent than it seems like, especially in LA comedy, because LA has such that crossover of stand up and uh, actors that a lot of them are up there trying to be like a character on stage. So they're just telling a story the whole time. There's a lot of people on, like, and I'm, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but there are a lot of people, especially in the LA scene, where they are on stage as a different person than they are off stage. Like I have my friend Grant Mueller is amazing on stage. He's Jesselnik. He hates that I say that, but he is like the best person besides Jesselnik. Like he is the best one liner. He's so dark. It's so funny. But then off stage, he has the loudest laugh I've ever heard. He is the smiliest human being in the world. And he is like super sweet. It's just like, I don't think you see that outside of LA because there's just less acting going on.
0: Yeah. I like watching Birbiglia's. I just watched uh, my girlfriend's boyfriend that came back on Netflix mm-hmm. and the way his progression has been is just inspiring because mm-hmm. like when I, I, I wanted to be him right away and I remember doing a really long set like I was berbiglia but I forgot like, oh, you know, he's funny and that helps. <laughs> so like he knows how to write a joke that also helps. Mm-hmm. And also like he doesn't need to explain people in his life anymore. It's like he's writing this one huge book mm-hmm. and every couple of years he releases another chapter. Yeah. And, and that's it, it's
1: beautiful. It's so, so interesting. And like, is he the only one doing it kind of like that? Like Nick Thune, if you listen to his stuff, is often like one long story or a couple long stories and then like a couple weird characters. And Patton Oswald often is a long story. And there's a few other people who do it like that. David Cross, his most recent album, like 50% of it is a story about him getting an enema with his wife. So there's a lot of that storytelling going on now. But for Biglia, the fact that he can just say Joe in a special and I know he's talking about his brother is insane. And I idolize that. That's why I like when I do my jokes, the kid is the kid. And that is his name. And his friend is always Mason, even though The kid that I first read those jokes about, I met four years ago and I haven't seen (laughs) since. And the kid that I nanny now is a totally different kid, but he still fits the he is the kid and he'll always be the kid. And I refuse to name him.
0: So that kid, do you just add on to his lore like you're watching another kid and now he is still
1: everything he does is quote-unquote the kid yeah so the most egregious one way i do it and i'll just admit it on the podcast because it makes me look like a really good guy i nanny a 16 year old with severe autism sometimes and like he's like you would think he's 10 like he but he's 16 he's just severely it's, it's hard to talk to him he can't communicate but most of the time i'm with this one 12 year old kid so when I've written the joke, now I nanny a ten-year-old autistic child. Sometimes, okay, like that is a big part of. I have a whole set about uh, the autistic kid and how much I love him, and he's this—he's great. He is so funny. He's just the meanest human being I've ever met, <laughs> but he's very funny and like he loves football. So I would go over on Sundays was my day with him, and I would basically watch football with this kid. And since the quarantine, I haven't seen him, and I don't know if I'll ever see him again, but. Now, sometimes when I talk about nannying a kid, the kid that I nanny has autism when I want to talk about the things that that kid does.
0: Have you run into a situation because my sister is mentally retarded, like, and it's not even like I get mad because people are like, oh, you can't say that. No, that's her actual diagnosis. Like mm-hmm. that's the clinical she term is mental, mental retardation. Yeah, absolutely. But whenever I joke about her and maybe I'm just not doing her correctly, but I feel like there's an immediate pushback. It's like, Ooh, you oh, shouldn't absolutely. talk about it. It's
1: like, have you run into that? Oh yeah. Well, one, you'll run into that in LA over a lot of things. Just the concept of a child having autism is such a like turnoff for people. People will be offended when I say I nanny this kid. He is autistic. People are immediately offended sometimes. Just the idea that I am talking about an autistic kid. And to be fair, I do take it extra steps and say stuff that It might not be nice, but the whole point of the joke is that I think this kid is better than other children. Like, I think this kid is sweeter on some level because he means everything as earnestly as possible. I think he's really funny. I think he's really smart. He just can't communicate with people. The joke is, like, I think uh, vaccinations should lean into that weird conspiracy theory that vaccinations cause autism and actually start making vaccines that cause autism. Because I think that'd just be great to have more autistic kids running around. And people hate that so much sometimes.
0: I wonder if it's because they're afraid of having an autistic child.
1: Maybe. I think it's, yeah, they're they're afraid of the idea that if they're not perfectly woke about it, they're going to end up with an autistic kid. Not realizing that what I'm saying is, no, you'll be so much happier that way. Right, like the world will be better. Yeah. And I don't obviously I don't mean like you will be happier if you have a child with severe special needs. But kids are kids and they're adorable and they're all very sweet. And if a kid with autism is just as sweet as a kid without autism, like it's the same thing. How long have you been nannying? Four years now or three, three and a half, like almost as long as I've been doing comedy. What do you like about that? I like kids. I know that's okay. so weird to say as a man in this world, I hate yeah, the but stigma.
0: You, but you have a beard, not yeah. just a mustache.
1: Exactly. I If I just had a mustache, I should be in jail. But <laughs> no, I, I like kids TV shows. I think they have a better outlook on life. I think they're inherently innocent and all they're trying to do is do their best. And I think a male guide to them is something that's really lacking. And I just kind of fell into nannying is how that happened. Like, I just replied to an ad on Facebook of someone being like, hey, does anyone have any experience working with kids? And I was like, yeah, I used to be a counselor, which is also a lie, but that's not the point. <laughs> I And I just realized I'm, I'm really good with kids. I work well with them. I'm very patient. And we can talk about the same TV shows. And that's a huge plus. Did you notice any like a uh, reservation to hiring a male? Yeah. There's a lot of it. It's like a weird double-edged sexism sword because, one, I understand why this is a problem. Like, I understand that more often than not, if you hear about someone doing something really shitty to a kid, it is a man. And that is because men are always the ones doing shitty things to other people. Like, that's just kind of how crime seems to work. (laughs) But, yeah, people are really hesitant because I'm a man and... That's really all there is to it. They just are like, that's such a weird... And I openly have to bring it up in pretty much every interview I've gone to, where I'm like, I do understand that it's not normal, and you don't see a lot of men applying for these kind of positions, but blah, 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 blah. Basically, I have to pitch it like, look, you you want your little boy to have a positive man around him in today's climate. And that's kind of the pitch I have to go with. Hard to argue that. Yeah, and like... The boy that I nanny the most, who I've been with for almost the whole time, four years, three or four years, uh, his dad is super right wing conservative. Definitely thought I was gay for being a nanny when we first uh, met. Not my biggest fan for a lot of reasons, I'm sure. But he specifically wanted a man to be around his kid. So like, that was specifically what they were looking for. So that does exist. It's just like shitty the way that he thinks of it. Because like, he's like, I want a man to teach my son to be a man. And I'm like, I'm gonna teach him what a rainbow is, motherfucker. I don't, (laughs) I don't care what happens. And like, so many kids I think are gay. I just tend to think all children are gay like young boys like to touch each other way too much. And I'm like, that kid's going to be gay. That kid's going to be gay. And I, the dad is so scared of his son being gay that it has convinced me that his son is gay. It's like perfect justice. Yeah. And it's like what I want more than anything. Like I know it will be horrible for this kid growing up to have a father who doesn't love him. But I'm like, you know what? Fucking tell him off. you be gay and you be crowd kid.
0: I watched full house a lot when I was uh 35, also when i was younger and i don't remember if i knew what gay was Mm -hmm. but when i saw there's a character he's a kid Derek, who i think in the show might have been like six or seven i think i was like gay yeah not even like not even thought that dude is gay oh yeah he's saying yankee doodle dandy like a fucking pro and already dressed better than michelle ever will and I'm like, that guy is gay. Like, I think I think you have a point. Like, if you were gay, you were probably gay from the start.
1: One, you're, yeah, I, I do believe you're gay, you're gay. Two, the way you act doesn't actually mean you're gay, straight up. But you no. can tell, like, with some of these kids where you're, like, for example, I make jokes about it that this kid is in love with his friend Mason. No, the kid that I nanny is straight up in love with his best friend. There is no way around it. He looks at him with, like, a set of eyes that I've only looked at food with. It's <laughs> It's adorable. Like, I genuinely find it like this adorable crush that he has. And it's just heartbreaking to watch like this. Like, you know, like, I know it's not going to work out for him. Like, I know this is just going to be a long, sad thing that he has to go through. But like, at the moment, while he's still figuring it out, I'm like, nah, I think it's cute. Like, I think it's, right, right. it's so cute how much you want to dance with that other little boy. Like, I think it's adorable. I think it'd be adorable if you wanted to dance with a specific girl like that too. Like if he was in love with a little girl, but he's not. And like, it's like, I see no difference with it, obviously, because it's 2020 and shit. And like, I find it so upsetting how upset his dad is when it like it's obvious. And his dad like hyper corrects him with stuff. Like he's like, no, you're not supposed to stand that way. And I'm like, dude, good luck. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Is his hand like a teapot?
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Oh, is it really? The way you're envisioning a gay little boy would stand. It's how he stands. Like the original joke I wrote is it's not that he uh, literally fits every gay stereotype. It's that he's genuinely in love with a little boy. And like, but he also fits every gay stereotype. He loves musicals so much. He loves ballet and dancing and he loves being in dance classes. He stands with his wrist flicked. He looks at his nails constantly. Like that's a thing. Like he, he'll he like blow on his nails and constantly look at them. It's like a weird thing for him. It's so many things.
0: I love like, uh, like I had this visual in my head when you're talking about this. And I'm like, I, I would just pay to see his dad like, Storm into the kid's room while he's listening to, like, the Newsies soundtrack. Like, no! Megadeth in this house! We are a Metallica
1: household. (laughs) How dare you! It reminds, like, it's an old joke, but, like, someone coming in, like, how dare you listen to Cher? We only listen to Queen in this house. Man's music! (laughs) That's how I imagine his dad would fall into this.
0: I saw the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Mm -hmm. Really good. But I was trying to think of when I knew or had a thought that Freddie Mercury was gay, maybe college. I had no idea.
1: I I don't know when I learned, but I don't have a memory of not knowing, partly because I knew queen meant gay. Like I associated being a queen with being gay, like saying queen as a gay slur. Yeah, um, I
0: used to call people that, but I'm also not smart enough to put that together. I like how I'm like, as, oh, as yeah.
1: yeah, I used it all the time. Now that you call it. Yeah, I, I invented <laughs> it. I was the first one to say it.
0: <laughs> Listen, I was born in the 80s, pal. <laughs> we invented homophobia. We were
1: the best at it.
0: <laughs> sure were. I have a joke where uh, I don't know if I've told it to you, maybe, but it's kind of like a, a one line throwaway where kids in the 90s were way more inclusive. You didn't have to have sex with a guy to be called gay. You just had to wear glasses.
1: <laughs> yeah. But that, that's all we had. Man. That's basically what grow. That, that was growing up in Texas too. Whatever I did was gay. It didn't matter. Like I was teased mercilessly for being gay. It had nothing to do with my sexuality. They didn't know that. I think, but I'm not really sure. I don't think they ever actually cared about it. It was just that I was in theater, and that was enough. Yeah,
0: I remember. Uh, I I didn't make fun of him because uh, one of my roommates in college, he was a cheerleader, mm-hmm. and he was like the mascot or whatever. I guess I probably made fun of him, like, when I heard the stories, but I got to thinking about it. I'm like, okay, well, what better job is there in high school to be a cheerleader, yeah. be the base of the pyramid yeah. and being able to look up like, like, wow, that's
1: okay. it's like the I straightest it. thing you can do that we make fun of you for. And then we watch men play with balls on the sidelines. Like, it's such a weird, like, cheerleading to me because I grew up in Texas where it's I don't know why I had to specify I grew up in Texas again, but it's a football and cheerleading are one and two. Like they're huge part of your, the culture cheerleaders were like everything. If you weren't on the football team and you were a guy you wanted to be part of the cheerleading team, kind of. Like, it was a big thing because they were the most competitive thing in the world if you weren't on the football team. But we always made fun of the guys for being on the cheerleading team. Like It was a weird, like, you also, like, had to take shit for it, even though they were more jacked than half the football team. They were, like, the uh, right. biggest guys at school because they had to throw a human being in the air who was their size because it's high school and catch them. Like, it's insane.
0: And at the bigger schools, you're getting cheerleading scholarships. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they need they need men on those teams. Oh yeah.
1: Mizzou had a huge cheerleading team. Like it was a very prominent team. And like the guys were jacked and huge and got laid all the time, I'm sure. If they wanted to or like didn't if they were married because it was Missouri. You know, it's hard to say. 18 is when you should be married there.
0: Can you tell me about the the worst set you've ever had? Worst set I've ever had? Yeah.
1: Um so the one that comes to mind right now, it was actually my second show. And it's this was totally out of my control. I've definitely bombed worse than this, but it was my second show four years ago. So it was like November of 2016. And I was on stage as CNN declared Trump won Wisconsin. Oh, my God. And a girl in the audience started to cry while I was trying to tell jokes. Did you know why Um, she was crying? No, not yet. Um, I figured it out like I figured out before I addressed that she was crying, though, because I had to address that like not only sh- a couple people got up and left, too. I was like, what did I do? And then like I looked over and there was a TV with the election results and I was like, oh, OK, uh, great. And I, I was at the time I thought I was going to be a political comic. I was like, that's my niche. I'm so good at politics. Yeah. And I, it's still one of my favorite bits I've ever written comparing the Trump election to the Lion King. And uh, Trump is Simba in this. And like, the end of the joke was always, I hope Simba doesn't become king. Basically, it's that Scar is a civil rights leader who just wanted to feed the hyenas is where the whole thing comes from. And Simba's like, fuck you for going them. Go back. I don't think you were born here. I'm gonna make (laughs) Pride Rock great again. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, and then he wins and that sucks. That's a horrible way for that movie to end. I wish Nala was king because she had a really big role in the SCAR administration. And, you know, she really knows the ropes. And I just, you know, I'm with her. And that's the way that the joke ends. And then, like, as I'm telling it, like, I realized, oh, no, I lost. <laughs> Plus,
0: the bit is gone.
1: Yeah, the bit's over. Uh, And it's like, I should try to somehow dust it off because it's still such a clever bit. But so the bit's gone. In this moment, I'm realizing I lost my best bet. The crowd is literally crying at me. And the, this is the first time I voted in an election and lost. So that sucked. So it's like, oh, I was 2-0 before this. So you voted for Obama twice. That's why
0: you're out of Texas. They kicked you out.
1: Yeah, they didn't like me. there. <laughs> I was a Jew who did high school theater. You think I thrived there?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I I think you had to leave at 18. They're like, we'll tolerate you for a little bit just because, you know, we're guilty, you know. Yeah, they you something. felt bad
1: about the Holocaust and they were hoping I might get good at taxes one day. So they just let me stick around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned in, in one of the mics that, that you're working on an album.
1: Uh, that was something I decided in the past month or two. Yeah, that's the I wrote it all out to make sure I what I have uh, what I think is an hour of material. So I have what I think is an hour written down, ready to go. But I mean, I can't do it till COVID clears up. So what I'm hoping is 2021, I'll be able to book this room that I love in LA called Geeky Tees. And I have a great relationship with them and I'll shout them out everywhere I can. They're just a great room. They've got a stage and then a board game shop. And it's just like a cool two things to go together. That's really cool. Like how how many people does it hold? Uh, So like... Way more than what I'm going to say. Uh, comfortably, at least 50 people. But there's like a hallway where you can keep getting people in. It just, it wouldn't be the best view because it's a roundabout stage kind of thing or three sided stage. I know it was Sarah Silverman.
0: I think it was at the Largo. Mm-hmm. Did she have like 41 people in her last special? Maybe. Something like that.
1: Bamford has done similar things to that. Well, Bamford's done it with two people. She did it with two people. Yeah. It'd be like, well, Chappelle did one in the belly room. That doesn't fit more than 40 people too. Belly rooms at the comedy store. It's the smaller room there. It's the one where he's sitting down the whole time on Netflix. I can't remember which one that is. But that's in a small room too. I think 30 people, 40 people is enough to get really great laughs. I have 30 people. I have 30 friends that would more than welcome to come. I want to make it free. And then I would just put it out on Spotify. I, I wouldn't be looking to make much money off it. But it'd be the first step towards getting more albums out, which is what I've always wanted. Just a collection of jokes for people to listen to.
0: Well, also like you, so you put out the album, like now you know how it's done mm-hmm. now I and can like, do it. yeah, I would, I would imagine that, okay, the second album, the third album, they'll just be easier after time.
1: Mm-hmm. And like, I can also help other people put together theirs cause I want to learn how to, how to work the software and the recording and stuff and kind of do it all. Not necessarily on my own. Obviously I'll ask everybody. <laughs> Have you been brainstorming names? uh so manny diaries is obviously the first one that comes to mind but i also want to do something with color blindness or hippo guy alex kane hippo guy is my real favorite but i don't find it as showing as what the rest of my album is does that tag onto a joke i forgot you are on a, i love hippos i have probably a solid 10 minutes on just hippos okay. I don't know what it is, but there's a thing with comedians lately where everyone has jokes about animals. Mines hippos, but I've I've collected hippos since I was a, a baby. I like I have a hippo on my desk at all times. Oh, nice! I um I know everything about hippos, and I'm the hippo guy and i have a whole joke about dogs and dog people but you, everyone on tinder puts that they're a dog person but i put hippo guy on tinder and no one fucking gets it <laughs> what what if you were i've never seen this now i'm not i might do it tonight not, or i might do it at the next mic just to just to do it cuz i haven't brushed it off in a minute i could always do it
0: I'm not an active Tinder guy. Like, like I have it on my phone as like, like a hot, you remember hot or not at all?
1: Yeah, yeah vaguely. It was the original that's Facebook. Kind
0: of, yeah, like that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's kind of how I use Tinder. Like every two and a half, three weeks, it'll say, Hey, we're going to delete you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, I'll just go through. Like I don't contact anybody, but it's like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I know the joke is that, oh yeah, every guy there has, you know, a deer or a fish yeah, or whatever. everyone. I have never, I have never heard of anybody with a hippo like if you had a live hippo I, I wonder if that would get you more traction or or less a
1: live hippo would probably get me a lot of traction uh because live hippos are fucking huge and deadly hippos will kill you on site most of the time aren't
0: aren't they the most dangerous or don't they have the most body counts not the most the animals, just technically
1: second? dogs and mosquitoes have more but of an animal, of like a wild animal. Yeah, hippos, they kill over 500 people. They have killed over 500 people every year of recorded history. Like, they have never not been a problem. They own riverways. Pablo Escobar had two in his zoo when he ran shit, and then after he got caught, they released his zoo. And the hippos now own most of Colombia, Venezuela waterways. It's like the most amazing thing to look up. They are literally thriving in South America and are destroying parts of the economy and other animals. And they're just winning.
0: So they're conceivably were hippos high on cocaine.
1: Uh, Conceivably, hippos are the source of cocaine. (laughs) They've been (laughs) trafficking it for years. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Uh, Yeah. No, hippos are just like because... One, they like. I'm not going to give all of it because I have so many bits about it. But they have very thick skin that's bulletproof. Basically, uh, you have to get real close to pierce their skin or have like a high powered rifle. And then they weigh a lot. They are agile underwater like nothing else. They literally don't swim. They just walk underwater. Like you know the pirates in the Pirates of the Caribbean movie where they just walk yeah. at the bot. That's hippos. That's just what they do. They don't swim. They just jump and then they're. Bites can bend steel or break steel.
0: I'm I just okay. So obviously they get poached. Like I know that, and I don't want to bring up any any sad subjects for you. <laughs> but like, like, say say you kill a hippo. How do you just go and grab it? Like good luck. That's the yeah. Like like don't are they a a pride or a pack? Like a pod. don't the other a what a pod? So we're do, we're doing the hippo cast. <laughs> we're doing the hippo cast now. <laughs> so but but do, wouldn't they exact revenge right they away? Do. Like
1: yeah. Hunters don't fuck with hippos. It's not a hunter's thing to get hippos. They're endangered because of uh, dams is really what happened. But also endangered is a strong word because they just only thrive in rivers and really picked only two places to live.
0: So it's just that, you know, not natural selection, I guess. But
1: they're I mean, they're thriving. Like there's no really way around it. They're just not in danger the way there's just less hippos than there are other animals because they're big. Like they're endangered, like elephants are hunted more often and frequently than hippos. Rhinos are far more endangered than hippos. Uh, Hippos also don't, unless you want to eat them, there's really not a lot you can do with them. Uh, Their teeth are, they're not ivory like elephant tusks are. So their hippo tusks, they have their uses, but it's like way too dangerous to try and just get those. Like why risk it kind of thing. So it's not so much hunters that are the problem. Tourists are bigger like the tourist industry in that area is a bigger problem because they'll kill off hippos. they'll just take high powered rifles, shoot them, and leave them. That's a bigger problem than trap people like hunters because yeah if you if you try to take the carcass of like a of a hippo that was like let's say in a pod, you die, you just you're gonna die.
0: I wonder if that's how most people do die like they get their kills
1: uh yeah, well hippos will attack boats randomly. There's no reason or rhyme behind some of their attacks. Like a bull hip, a male hippo can just get aggressive for no reason. And they run at like 20 miles an hour and they'll follow you. And if they just decide to get aggressive, they will just decide to get aggressive sometimes. A uh, show of power, show of mating, whatever it is, to just show that they're better than us.
0: What animals go after them?
1: Crocodiles are their bigger, and they mostly go after the babies. But they, a hippo will get a crocodile in its jaw and just snap it in half jesus right it's crazy
0: i just remember that i actually have a hippo on my desk really yeah my brother-in-law well i'm a huge sandler fan mm-hmm. so when i was at college he sent me a fish a pony and a hippopotamus <laughs> in a care package from uh big daddy yeah
1: i love big daddy for part of that yeah man Things i had that uh, mention hippos when i was a kid i became obsessed with uh, madagascar i have like many of the figurines of Gloria is her name from Madagascar, voiced by Jada Pickett Smith. Terrible fucking movie. Zero redeeming qualities to that movie, except that there's a hippo in it. And I just loved it as a kid. So is your favorite
0: board game Hungry Hungry Hippos?
1: Yeah, I have two versions of it. It's also bad game. Really boring game. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's just a lot of, like, poking. And then your finger hurts. And then you break yeah. Hungry Hungry Hippos because you're mad yep. at the kid for beating you. Yeah, I'll always bruise my palm. Mm-hmm. It's like, did you ever have a Nintendo 64? Yep. You know, did you ever play one of the games where you had to like control, like spin the stick really fast? Yeah. Like Mario, some of the Mario games would always have that as like a mini game. Like you had to spin around to do stuff. I had like, I had a scar for years on the palm of my hand from where I burned it in, spinning the stick so much. How do you explain that? You just hope you don't have to, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I want to introduce a new segment on the show. What are the five worst things you know about Ellen Doyle?
1: <laughs> five worst things I know about Ellen Doyle.
0: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I just want to. I want to mention her name because that's the only way she'll ever listen to a podcast
1: I do. Yeah, I, that's fair. Um, <laughs> so the five <laughs> worst things. Uh, she's a bitch. <laughs> oh, cool, go for it. Go for, yep. <laughs> I one. didn't know I had to narrow it down. So she's a. Bit, <laughs> she's a big, it's all bitch. She's a small bitch. She's a little bitch. <laughs> she's a bitch. One more. Bitch. no ellen's great how'd you guys meet there's a small open mic here called the fourth wall uh it's just a room where they uh let you do open mics and pay five dollars to let them do it or let you do it how generous oh it's so nice of them so we did a bunch of mics there together had a bunch of friends in common and she moved away and part of the fourth wall scene kind of fell apart. Like people just kind of stopped going. Um, other things happened. Uh, fall apart is a strong word as if there was something to fall apart. But just like I stopped seeing the same people as often. And me and Ellen kind of just stayed in contact through that. And a bunch of the people that we both knew, like Lisa, that's amazing. And like they're they're just like some of the most talented people in this city. And so it was like a small group of, not small, but like a small niche of a smaller group of a huge group of comedians who all just appreciated each other's talents sit, sitting outside of a strip mall with a 7-Eleven next door. And all of us just sitting around and, talking shit.
0: In a tattoo slash taxidermy parlor next door. I
1: started that one. <laughs> that's, uh, okay. That's, my, that's Alex's tattoo and taxidermy. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as I learned about the two T's, I had to get in on it. <laughs>
0: Obviously, LA, like, uh, you got a lot of comedians coming through town. Like, have you seen, like, big names come through? Oh, yeah.
1: All the time. Constantly. It's weird. Like, Flappers is the small club that I perform at the most and I have a really good relationship with for the most part. I don't know why I said for the most part. We're good. So, I get booked there a lot. And I've hosted for some really big names. Like, Whitney Cummings, I've hosted for her before. I've been on a show with Titus there before. Preacher Lawson drops in all the time. Bill Burr was there once when I was there. Uh, Jim Jeffries was once in the show opposite of me. So he was on at the same time I was on it and nobody was in my room. So, because why, why would we? Right? Yeah. Brian Posehn. Everybody who's everybody has been through Flappers, even though it is like a lower level LA club. Just because it's in la kind of thing
0: but they're probably trying to work stuff out for their Kimrel set
1: uh well whitney cummings literally uses it as an open mic she will go in with nothing prepared sometimes she goes in with a notebook you know she'll just riff for 20 minutes ruin the show she's on not because it's unfunny but because her riffed material is better than everything the amateur comics are going to do after her like one of my favorite times i've ever been at flappers is i was the host Whitney Cummings was supposed to take the bullet spot after me, but she just didn't show up. So I didn't know she was going to be there. So I went up, I did my 10, and I brought up the second comic, who's some amateur five minutes. That's the way Flappers works. Everyone gets five minutes, and most of them have never done a show before. Um, that's their typical Saturday night in these rooms, uh, with like a celebrity guest or a headliner, quote, quote. So I did my set. Whitney was supposed to go next, but she wasn't there. So I brought up the next person, And I walk outside and it's Whitney Cummings looking at me and she's like, I thought I was next. And I was like, you weren't here. Like, I don't know how to argue with you now. Like, you win. You're right. You should have been next. I'm sorry. I should have just said your name and believed you were here. And she was like, oh, you're funny. And I was like, okay. So so she legitimately thought I was funny on stage. And that was like overwhelmingly like I couldn't speak for a couple seconds just because I was two years into comedy at this point. Then I brought her up. She was supposed to do 10 minutes. She did 25. Great. She was so funny. But then I had to host a bunch of other people commenting on how they weren't as funny as Whitney. Yeah. And each of them had less time than she had by a lot. And the show went over 15 minutes. Oh, my God. Because she went over 15 minutes. But how do you get mad at that? You don't. (laughs) You know? Well, like, I think of it from the audience perspective. They were there probably to see one of their friends is the model, like they're there to see one person, maybe. Maybe they're there to see the headliner, maybe. But they're there to see their friend. They get a story now that Whitney Cummings just showed up and just talked about this girl's sweater for 15 minutes. That's a that's a story I wouldn't ever want to take away from them.
0: No, and how and how many of them are actually going to see Whitney Cummings do comedy live?
1: Yeah, it's rare. I mean, unless you go to the comedy store all the time and pay 25 bucks just to see a show constantly. You're not going to see her live regularly, and like that's the joy of the LA scene is that I've been able to do that because it's not just like Whitney is my like I see her all the time. That's amazing, but like Garland's at Flappers all the time. People run into Bill Burr at the store all the time. People sneak into Chappelle's shows all the time. These guys are just running around. You just have to know where they go to work out. Pat Oswald at the Largo, he booked out like a month there, and he just showed up every day when he wanted, and that's like how they do an open mic now.
0: Wait, so that wasn't exclusive to him, but he said, I'm going to be
1: there every day for a month? Well, it'd be like he told the people, maybe it's not the Largo, maybe it was Dynasty Typewriter, or maybe they're the same thing. I don't, it's hard to keep up with the names of these places. (laughs) But uh, so he would, they like, hey, I'll drop in every day, maybe around seven. So just put on a show and let me jump on it. And you can advertise that I'll be on it, but I'm going to just be doing stuff. So they'll book like, I don't have a relationship with anyone there. Not, I just don't know them. So like they would book someone like me or somebody or a bunch of my friends. Uh, I'm trying to think who I know who performs at the Largo. All the So Katrina Davis would host for him. Or then like that's how Dave Ross got out there a bit more and few other people. And so like that's the thing about being in LA is that that is happening constantly. That these people of note are just doing shit constantly.
0: Does that make you a better comedian like do you work harder because i don't want to you know look like a shithead in front of these people
1: no i think it deterred me more than anything in hindsight i think i got scared of them more than anything like whitney saying i was funny was amazing but watching i'm trying to i don't want to name names because it wasn't like anyone did anything wrong in this situation but i had a very big headliner walk out on my set not they didn't even know i was there basically It was a little early on in my comedy career, so I took it way personally. I was like, that guy didn't find me fun. How could he walk out on a set? He knows I'm trying. What's his problem? And he didn't know who the fuck I was. It's not a thing. Same things happened with a bunch of other people. Like, I've heard that story many times. I've heard, like, I had a friend come up to me and he was like, I don't think I can do this. Bob Odenkirk walked out on my set. And I was like, why the fuck would Bob Odenkirk listen to any of us, though? Like, what is he going to gain from listening to any of us do stand up? And like I had to make that decision, but that that realization didn't come till three, four years into comedy.
0: Do people from San Diego come up all the time or yeah. Or is is there a good relationship between those sounds?
1: Yeah, I think so. I have a pretty good relationship with people in San Diego. Um, like a few of them are like Nate Robinson's a good friend of mine, he's a guy down there. Brandon Young's a good friend of mine, he's a guy down there. I performed at the Palace a couple times, Madhouse, all the clubs. People in L.A. are able to get down there. And it's it's really great because it's like having a second city just to go to and perform in front of. And like Madhouse is great at booking L.A. comics. Like they're amazing. I keep seeing people that I love. Like I see A.J. Foggi there getting up all the time. And then there's a Comedy Heights is another. They're not a club. They, they're kind of a traveling comedy thing. But they're constantly booking people from L.A., and I think anywhere, I think Ellen was supposed to headline Comedy Heights. I was supposed to do it in April, but they're another just phenomenal little spot in San Diego. Do you think you're going to stay in LA for a while? Um, No, <laughs> I, I love it out here. I have a lot of love for the scene out here, but it's so expensive and it's hard to tour out of LA because even Tucson, Phoenix, Portland, Seattle, like those are big cities where like I feel like if there was those are big cities that are looking for entertainment. So like they'll bring in comedians, but they're not paying comedians because there's 5000 comedians in L.A. willing to make that eight hour drive. So anywhere that's not a flight away from L.A. doesn't tend to pay a lot. That's a big hindrance. It's not like the hindrance, but it's why I need to get out of L.A. because I need to be able to start getting out. Like even if a move to San Diego, when I can start, Going into Arizona a lot easier, or going into New Mexico, or moving to Arizona and living with my mom for a few, or mom and dad for a year or so, and taking out of Tucson, getting into Texas more. Those places have more opportunity and, and are hungrier for comedy. I would say, but not Brooklyn. No, Brooklyn's probably the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> what was the worst experience you had in New York? Uh so, <laughs> so I have a tendency for homeless people to just fuck with me. Like I have that face. Um, I've been punched out outside of a bar in LA by a guy who just thought I was his guy. Like things like that happened to me. But in New York, it was on another fucking level. I was attacked in some form on the subway every single month I lived there. I think the worst is when a guy shit on my shoes. Um, that probably was the worst. And he shit on my shoes because I was on his pole is what he said. I was not holding on to any pole because the subway was too crammed for me to get to one. So he dropped his pants and just pooped. I wasn't the only one who got pooped on, but it was directed towards me.
0: I don't understand why you wouldn't
1: fall in love right there. I mean, that was a great first week. (laughs) A first week? It was a, that was like month six. That was when my soul was already dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, first week though, I was with my sister and this lady threatened to shoot us. She was like, I got a gun in my thing. Get up, get out of here, get off this train. And we were like, what? She's like, just get the fuck off. You're not supposed to be here. I'm like, we're under, uh, we're between Brooklyn and Manhattan right now. We can't get off. The train is currently moving. So she said she was going to shoot us. That was week. That was actually week one. Like legitimately. I should have seen this like signs then.
0: (laughs) So maybe New York is not for you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I am very laid back and slow moving and really like to take my time with stuff. L.A. atmosphere really gets me on that. New York hated me on that. Yeah, like I, I think it made the right call. Mm-hmm. No, I, I never liked it. New- like, I see why people like it in high- like now. When I left, I was like, I don't understand why anyone would even want to visit that city. It smells like urine everywhere you go. But I forget that people don't know that. So it's a, it's a cool city. But it's not my city. Are you a Simpsons fan? Yeah.
0: Yeah, just watch the Homer Homer versus New York City. Mm-hmm. Like, he just went at the wrong time. Maybe that's what you did.
1: Yeah, that year was just the wrong time. <laughs> that year. It was a year no, and a half. <laughs> those. Tw- <laughs> Let's see. I was attacked 19 times. So those 17 months, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was hit by a car in New York at one point. I forget about that, too. A guy backed into me. He waited at an intersection for me to like walk around him so he could back into me. Like he waited in the I have no idea why. No one knows why. There was, I was just walking to get coffee. There was like eight witnesses and he just drove off and like a bunch of people came to help me, which was the most un-New York thing that ever happened. Like more yeah, than yeah. one person helped me. But it's because someone just clearly hit me with a car for no reason.
0: I just think it's fantastic that you forgot Uh that you were almost killed by a
1: car. Yeah, I could have died. It was the day of the Super Bowl, too. I had to go to a Super Bowl party with, like, my fingers all taped up because all that happened is I landed on my pinky wrong. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, I got insanely lucky. But also, what the fuck was that about? And I'll never know. Like, it's just a thing that I had to, like, block because I'll never know what the hell happened there. Because first off, he was just sitting in the, like, in the crosswalk for a minute. So I had to walk around him because it's New York. You don't stop for more than 20 seconds. Like, you no. just keep going. And then as soon as I got behind him, just backed up, stopped, and then kept going through a red light. And I was like, that seems intentional, but I have no idea what I did wrong. <laughs> what would
0: you prefer, getting hit by the car or having somebody shit on your shoes?
1: Uh, oh, fuck. This is hard. Because <laughs> like, in a vacuum, I'd rather get shit my shoes shit on. <laughs> but that was genuinely a worse experience <laughs> than getting hit by a car. <laughs> I don't know. See, the shoe shit on was worse because he accused me of something I wasn't even doing. It was like a. Not only do I have shit on me, but I was in the wrong somehow. What did I do to you? I man,
0: I haven't told this story very often, but when I was in college, I went to a, i went to a small school in Pennsylvania and like a small town. And and my roommate went to, or he grew up in an even smaller town, Canton, Pennsylvania. And I remember being with him, his mom, and his cousin. And his mom and his cousin were talking, <laughs> and it's not funny, but she was talking about how she got in a fight with her husband, and while she was asleep, he ejaculated in her hair, <laughs> and she awful. just mentioned it. And and one, I'm like, how could you talk to your aunt like this? That, that was that was strange to me. I had to stop him. I'm like, well, so what'd you do? She goes, Well, I kind of deserved it. And I go, Whoa. How do you deserve it? She goes, "Well, I shouldn't have gotten in a fight with him." Wow, I was like, "All right." Hate, at that point, I'm like, "Well, nothing God, I can do domestic here." Domestic
1: violence has gotten a lot tamer, at least I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. I go, "Thank God he didn't it was, hit her in her sleep." That's where I thought it was going, but like, that's all. That's Who disgusting. Knows? Yeah, fucking what? weird. But I gotta say, when your town is named after a smaller town in Ohio, that's a weird situation.
0: Very much so. It was. I mean, it was 20 years ago, but can Im- I, I I do wonder if they're still together.
1: I bet. I mean, it, if you let a guy come in your hair, I assume that means you are ma- You love him dearly. I No woman has ever let me come near her hair. I'm still waiting for a woman to say hi to me. Yeah, I haven't spoken to a woman in 15 years. <laughs> well, that's why you have your hippo. Yeah, that, I, it, I mean, they're kind of linked. <laughs> Let's be fair. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, dude, I, I appreciate being here. Uh, it's a lot of fun, yeah. but I don't want to talk to you anymore. I
1: understand. <laughs> <laughs> you have a social media to plug uh so i'm never on it but you can follow me at a cane four seven so that's a c-a-i-n-e four seven on instagram twitter and alex Kane on facebook
0: beautiful dude well can't wait to talk to you or see your set in an hour and 38 you're minutes. gonna learn some
1: shit about hippos
0: Goddamn right. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Right, take care, man.
1: I've Peeling back my sunburned skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I hope they let me in